Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? All right. Well, good morning, Waymaker. How are you guys? You guys doing good this morning? Uh, I thank I thank you, Salem, for coming out and seeing us and doing this vision trip. And I want you to know that the reason why they're here is, I mean, obviously because of obedience to God or that God's led them to come here, but also discipleship. Um, you know, I wrote Matt Milligan a letter. who's a pastor at New Harmony Church along with Jimmy Decker. I wrote him a letter while I was in prison, and he uh, wrote back to me, and, he, and it was some discipleship material. And he told me, he said, the ball's in your court now. We'll see what you're about. And so we done discipleship. Oh, kids, you're dismissed. Go ahead. And so we uh, we done discipleship, and from there, uh, we built a relationship like Paul and Timothy, a relationship that will last a lifetime and into eternity. And that, that man's probably one of the most dearest men to my heart, and it chokes me up to even talk about that guy. Before he went to Africa, he wrote, we were doing uh, discipleship, and he told Noah Schlag, one of the other pastors there at, at, New, at New Harmony, he said, if I go to Africa and I don't come back, he said, will you please continue discipleship with Tanner? And like, blesses my heart, dude. So thank you guys. I've been trying to preach to Salem for a long time, and now God brought Salem to us, and so thank you, Lord. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. I'll be done with the mushy stuff for a minute at least, right? Thank you, Lord. We'll be uh, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And the title of this message is uh, Continuing Steadfastly, Part 2. I'm a lot like my father-in-law, and sometimes I got a part two to things, right? So last night he had a part two, and I got a part two today. So that's pretty neat how, how he does that. And if I had to, to wrap this sermon up in a sentence... It would say, it's a long sentence, so bear with me. <laughs> but it would say, awestruck Christians who continued steadfastly in their love for Jesus and each other, whom God worked through to increase the church daily, is our example. I'll say it again. Awestruck Christians who continued steadfastly in their love for Jesus and each other, whom God worked through to increase the church daily, is our example. Let's read verse 42 through 47. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was added, adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. So Lord, we love you. We're thankful for your grace and for your mercy. Jesus Christ, we're thankful for the price that you paid on Calvary's cross for us. We thank you that you bought us with your precious blood. And for those in this room today, Lord, that don't know you, that aren't a part of the church yet, we pray that you would make a way where there is no way that they would come to, uh, to place themselves under the blood of Christ, that they'd be saved today and they would join this family, that they would join the church, the universal church. So Lord, we ask uh, for your favor in this room tonight, or in this morning, and would you open the hearts of the hearers and uh, allow, allow hearts of stone to be chiseled away into hearts of flesh and and I pray, God, that you would open their ears to hear and their eyes to see biblical truths. And, God, that you would speak through me, that I would be all the way out of the way, that you would take away anything that I've said out of my flesh in this sermon, and, and, and that you would speak. Get me out of the way, Lord, to, this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You can tell I'm used to preaching at nighttime because I keep saying tonight a lot, right? But 
Um, and so, so this weekend or this week, I got to get away for a few days because you need to do that every now and again. You need to recharge. Well, I say a few days. It was one day I got away, and I went to uh, Plattsmouth, uh, Nebraska, and I guess it's the only place in Nebraska where there's hills and a little bit of woods because I haven't seen any yet since I've been here. And, <laughs> and to be able to hear turkeys gobble in the morning, to be able to hear bullfrogs croak at night, and to be able to walk through the woods to this power line, man, I, it was exactly what I needed because I get a little choked out here in the city because it's not where I'm from, right? And so I climb up to the top of this power line, and I'm not saying I had some super spiritual encounter or anything like that, but while I was up there, I was thinking about this sermon that I was going to preach, continuing steadfastly. And God brought to my mind a memory of Matt Milligan while I was in Ozark Correctional Center. Uh, He had come in for a banquet, and he had told me this. He said, set your face like flint. Make your face hard like flint. Chase after the Lord, and that's when it came to my mind. It was like, continue steadfastly. Set your face like flint. Continue steadfastly. And I realized then that the message that I'm preaching to you is also the message that I'm preaching to myself today. Amen. And so last week, uh, like I said, this is a part two. So last week we looked at early Christians who were passionately in love with Jesus. You know, their lives declared that they were all about Jesus. And, and they declared that they were dead to self and raised to walk in newness of life in their baptism. And they continued steadfastly in four major areas that we looked at. Devotion to the apostles' teaching or the word of God. uh, Fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And last week we focused in on devotion to the word and to fellowship. And this week I want to finish up chapter 2 and I want to close in on, on the next two areas of the Christian life, which are remembering and praying. And it's a well-ordered state of the church to observe these four areas that I've mentioned, to, to observe, to be devoted to the Word of God. It's a well-ordered state of the church to be devoted to fellowship, to be devoted to breaking of, or to the breaking of bread, and to be devoted to prayer. So join me as we look at our first point, continuing to remember, devoted to prayer. Verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the, breaking of, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. So this is the second sacrament or the second ordinance that was mentioned since verse 40. Uh, the first was baptism, and the second here is, is the breaking of the bread, which is otherwise known as communion, right? And so how do I know that this is communion? When we look at the grammar, we look at the definite article Uh, The word the, T-H-E, the breaking of bread. It's different than breaking bread from house to house that we see in verse 46. So it has this uh, direct connotation uh, uh, to communion. So it's the breaking of bread. It also involves love feasts and the things that they did together. But it definitely had this significance significance, of communion. So why is it important that Luke would mention both baptism and communion? Why is it important that he would do that? Because as Christians, we're, we're pretty prone to forget why we gather, right? Sometimes we forget why we're even here, right? You know, we gather as a local church in whose name? We gather as a local church in Jesus' name, amen? And do you remember last week, the 3,000 souls that were lined up in verse 41 to be baptized? You remember we talked about that? They declared that they were buried with him in his death and that they were raised to walk in newness of life, right? They declared that they believe in the one who died for their sins. And not only does baptism symbolize and proclaim that we have been born again and that we are committed to following Jesus, it's a direct proclamation of the saving gospel, right? So when we do baptism, we're not just just welcoming somebody into the church. When we do baptism, we're not just helping a brother or sister be obedient to Christ and following him in baptism, but we're actually remembering the death 
the burial, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? How magnificent and how marvelous of a thing to remember each and every time that we dunk somebody in that tank back there. Buried with Him in death. Raised to walk in newness of life. It's a direct picture of the gospel every time, right? And in the same way, every time we take the Lord's Supper, we remember, right? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So every time we take communion, we proclaim the Lord's death. Every time that we take communion, we're remembering this, that Jesus Christ, the King of all kings, the King of the universe, stepped down off of his throne, was born humbly as a little baby, lived a sinless, perfect life. And every time that we take communion, we we remember uh, him being betrayed. We remember him being arrested. We remember him being slapped. We remember him being punched. We remember him being spit on, right? We remember him with the crown of thorns placed on his head and drops of blood coming down his forehead. We remember Christ being whipped in a purple robe put on him and ripped back off, right? We remember Christ suffering each and every time. We remember a heavy load being put on his back every step that he took to Calvary where he was nailed to the cross, hands and feet and put in place. That's what we remember. We remember a spear stabbed into his side. Remember that he drank bitter wine, sour wine. We remember the sufferings of Christ. And the perfect Son of God did all of this in obedience to the Father that he would save many, right? And what a beautiful and what a startling thing to remember every time that we take communion. So the next time you take communion, I want you to ask yourself, was his body offered up for me? Was his blood poured out for me? I want you to ask yourself this, are you born again? Do you, do you have the right to take communion? And for those of us who are born again, I want to ask ourselves, what's our life like? Do an examination. Put yourself, like Rick said last night, uh, in the examination chair in the courtroom. Remember the Son of God that was nailed to the cross for our sins and ask yourself, are we living in a manner worthy of the price that was paid? So we, see, uh, so we see the early church continuing to remember the death of our Savior that was made for them. And upon remembering this glorious death, they, they had no other place to go but to prayer, right? As, as, upon remembering something like that, uh, that Christ died on the cross for our sins, the first thing that I'm going to say is what, Rick? Thank you, Lord, right? It's going to lead you to a place of prayer. And these people who loved Jesus, they continued steadfastly in the Word of God. They continued steadfastly in fellowship. They continued steadfastly in communion and, and the breaking of the bread. And they continued steadfastly, finally, to prayer. And so the Bible is full of prayer. God designates many verses and chapters and even entire books in his written word to prayer, right? The psalm is, it, Psalms is one of those books. It's a book of prayer. It would be an understatement to say that prayer is important, right? John MacArthur said uh, something along the lines of this, that prayer is one thing that we can never do enough of. No matter how much we pray, we'll always feel as if we haven't prayed enough, right? 
No matter how much you pray, you'll always feel as if you haven't prayed enough. Martin Luther famously said this, I have much to do today, so I'm going to go pray for a few hours. I mean, come on, give me that heart, Lord, right? Like, I got a whole lot to do today. I ain't got time to pray. Is my ad- to pray is my attitude sometimes. Charles Spurgeon said that neglected prayer is the birthplace of all evil. Prayer is vital, right? It's one of the disciplines and acts of worship that God has given to us who believe. And the early church was a praying church, amen? And they had to be. Everything led them to prayer. Remembering Christ on the cross led them to prayer. Trying to understand the apostles' doctrine led them to prayer. Asking God for protection led them to prayer. They're all the time asking God to preserve us, keep us, provide for us, forgive us, help us understand, grow us, give us courage, help us to love, direct us, Open doors, God. They're all the time praying. They're a praying church. These are the same disciples who had asked Jesus how to pray. They asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus gave them the model prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. What a beautiful prayer. What a beautiful example that he's given us. And it's in prayer that we acknowledge who we are in Christ, who he is, and what he is capable of, right? It's in that prayer, that model, that we see the beauty of adoption. The fact that we were um, dead sinners with the heart of stone. The fact that we were in the, in the family of the devil. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and bought us with the price. And that through faith in Christ, through believing in Christ, we can be adopted into the family of God. And then we're becoming children of God, co-heirs with Christ. Princes and princesses, right? It's in prayer that we realize that God is supreme. That He's the sovereign. There's no king above Him. It's in prayer that we see that he's our provider. As Brother Eddie Bumpers always talks about, he's our Jehovah Jireh, Lord the provider. It's in prayer that we go to him for forgiveness, right? Cleanse my heart, Lord. It's not right this morning. Cleanse my heart, Lord. Forgive me for this. We got a graceful, forgiving father. So we must follow steadfastly this example of the early Christians who passionately loved Jesus and continue to devour the word of God who sought partnership with each other, who remembered the price that was paid on the cross and who never ceased to pray. We must follow steadfastly that example. Look at verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. It's our second point, continuing in fear. So everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. That word for awe is the word, the Greek word phobos. It's where we get our word for phobia, right? It's where we get our word. There's all kinds of phobias. Arachnophobia, scared of spiders, all kinds of different phobia. Uh, it's where we get our word for fear. Or it's where we get our word for afraid. But in this case, it's, it's a deep kind of respect and, and that people feel in the presence of great power, right? You ever been in the presence of somebody who, who was in a higher, a very high position? You had this kind of reverence. You watched what you did. You watched the way you talked, the way you acted, right? Some of y'all get that way when around us pastors. You'll cuss and you'll be like, oh man, I'm sorry, forgive me. I'm like, I ain't no priest like that, man. <laughs> Take that up with Jesus. 
It's used in this. It's used in the same way in Luke chapter five, verse twenty-six, with the paralytic, the guy who couldn't walk, and his and his homies let him down through the through the top of the roof, right? And Jesus, Jesus says, "Pick up your pick up your mat and go ahead and walk. Your sins are forgiven." And it, it's used in the same way in this in this text, uh, Luke five twenty-six. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were all fi- filled with phobos. They were all filled with fear, saying, "We have seen remarkable things today." Used again in the same way in Mark chapter 4, verse 41, when Jesus calms the water, right? Uh, They became very phobos. They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see that? This sense of awe, the sense of awe that they felt was a healthy fear of being in the presence of Almighty God, the one who heals the lames, who tells the storms to cease, the one who all kings answer to, and the one who is not bound by any circumstance or timeline. That's the reverence that they felt. That's the power that they were in the presence of. Amen? And this sense of awe comes from being in the presence of the great I Am. There's nobody greater than Him. Moses said, who should I tell him to send me? He says, just tell him I Am. I Am. Right? Take your shoes off, homie. We're in the presence of Brighton. Don't take your shoes off right now. <laughs> this also has another connotation to it, though. So look at the word, uh, the first word in verse 43. Everyone. So this means everyone was filled with awe. Believers and unbelievers had this sense of awe. Even the apostles who were doing the mighty works, who were doing these signs and wonders, who who God was displaying his power through, they were full of reverence at what was taking place. Man, the fact that everyone had this sense of awe is crucial. And and why is it crucial? Because if God had not displayed his power like that, I believe the angry Jews and the Romans would surely seek to destroy and demolish this early Christianity immediately, right? As soon as it rose up. The Pharisees wanted to take them out. What did, I think maybe Gamaliel told, told them, uh, you've seen what happened before with these other guys that started one of these things before they completed. If it's up, God, you know, let it grow. And if it's not, let them go, right? That's, that, was their, that was his attitude. But the other Pharisees was like, we got to make them stop. But if God wouldn't have displayed his power, they would have wanted to demolish them right away. Uh, one theologian says, uh, said this, that the Jews would have never would, sorry, the Jews would never have suffered the church of Christ to stand one minute of an hour unless the Lord had restrained them with fear as with a bridle. And so uh, I'm, from, I'm from Missouri, and when I moved down to Missouri, my family had a foxtrotting farm, which is horses, right? They're the best horse ever, besides a gated mule, right? I don't know. Are you a quarter horse guy, Jimmy? Oh, uh, you're not? Okay, well, I like Missouri Foxtrotters because they're gated, they're smooth, and your back ain't going to hurt so bad at the end of it, right? So anyways, uh, you have this bit on a bridle. The bridle goes up over its face and around its ears, and this bit sits in the middle, and you put, that, you put it in the horse's mouth, and you can steer that horse to the right, to the left. You can make him stop, and if it's a good horse, you can tuck your pinkies and you can make him walk backwards, right? That's basically what, what, what this theologian is saying here, that God restrained them in that same way as with a bridle. Whoa, you better stop. That's my church, amen? He bridled them with fear. He bridled the enemies with fear of the church. And this fear may, have not, may not have brought everyone in, into obedience to Christ, but it did cause them to stand in doubt in this kind of middle of the road kind of way. And it bound them hand and foot. And, and it just kind of left them standing in awe because everyone kept feeling this sense of awe. What's going on here, right? Keep tracking with me. 
in verse 43. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Now, guys, this ain't no Benny Hinn. This isn't no Kenneth Copeland. This isn't no faith healers. None of that charismatic craziness or anything like that. Nobody's getting slain in the spirit. I'm not selling you a handkerchief to be able to heal your grandma. It's none of that stuff. It's not not incomprehensible babbling. These were actual wonders and signs done for the purpose of what? For for credibility and revelation of God. They pointed to something, right? They were done for the preserving and the furthering of the church. And you got to think that the church is in this infancy stage. It's like a little baby, right? It's unable to defend itself. It doesn't have the written word of God to fight with the sword, right? As we see in the armor of God. It doesn't have it as the primary weapon. I'm sure it's unsure of how to fight for itself at this stage. So God steps in as he always does. As a good father, he acts supernaturally to ward off predators, to mature the church, and to validate his message, right? It's the point of those signs and those wonders. To validate his message. To mature his church. To ward off predators. To show his power under control. We may not see great signs and wonders performed by human hands today as they were through the apostles, but we do see miraculous things happen every single day. Have you forgot about the ordinary means of grace? You know, have have you forgotten about what a miracle it is to see the salvation of a lost sinner? To see somebody who was dead to Christ, unable to come to Jesus on their own? Somebody with a heart of stone, given a heart of flesh, a spirit was blown inside of them. They're able to stand up and walk and come to Christ. Have you forgotten how much of a miracle that is? That's nothing short of a miracle, right? What about the miracles of answered prayer for healing? That God would guide the doctor's hand to remove a tumor or to to administer the right kind of medicine. That's a miracle, right? What uh, What about the restoration of families? How many people are here from your family today? You got a whole row, pretty much, right? Amen. Ron, I know you bring a whole row with your family as well. Restoration of families, that's nothing short of a miracle. To bring a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter to Christ and back home, nothing short of a miracle. He answers prayers. What about the providing of our needs? You think of how God fed Elijah by the brook with the ravens, right? Sometimes I feel like Elijah in a way with how you guys provide for us at times. When we're like, man, I don't, our fridge is pretty empty, Naomi. I don't know how we're going to eat this week, you know, in a sense. And here comes y'all from Freeway or something with boxes of food and a couple hundred bucks. Or one of you guys to give us a check to get on through. He provides in a supernatural way, moving through his people and in, through ordinary people in ordinary means. Extraordinary God working, right? We may not see these extraordinary things happening through apostles' hands, but we do see them happening through ordinary people. We see an extraordinary God working through ordinary people. So do you feel this sense of awe in your life? Do you fear the Lord? Do you have a healthy reverence of God? Remember, the fear of the Lord is not a bad thing. It's the beginning of wisdom, and it's a healthy place to be, right? So fall down on your face and worship. Be in awe of His power. The power of God ought to be seen in our lives, Christians. Can outsiders look at you and see the wondrous miracle that has taken place as God brought you from death to life? Because remember, that's a miracle. Are you a living, walking, breathing testimony of God's greatness and power and mercy and love and compassion? Do people stand in awe of God based upon the work that he's done in your life? Or do you blend in with the rest of the crowd of the world? Where do you stand, guys? This brings me to my third point. Continuing to give. 
verse 44 through 45. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Thank you, Lord. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. So bear with me. Uh, it, there's a shift from everyone kept feeling this sense of awe to all those who believe, okay? And this is, it's hard truth, but I say this with love and grace, that the church is made up of believers, guys. So if you're an unbeliever and you're here today, you're not part of the church. You may be here physically, but you're not part of the church spiritually. So it's only those who have been born again, only those who by faith have received the gift of grace of Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for their sins, that have the right to be called the church and God's bride, right? Jesus' bride. But so if you're an unbeliever here in this place, we want you guys to keep coming back. Keep coming back week after week, right? Repent and believe in Jesus. That's our hope that we have for you, and that's what we're praying for. Keep coming back. You're more than welcome to come, right? But you're not the church because you're not a Christian, right? So only those who truly believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior are part of the church. And so that's, I say this with love and compassion that, that we invite you today to step out and make that step and, and become part of the church. Come join a people who love Jesus and are sold out for Christ. And they're going to tell the whole world of their transformation power of God in their life. Step out and take that. Make that decision today. So what did these early believers in Jesus Christ do? They held on loosely to their possessions. They continued steadfastly in giving to one another in need. Read, uh, read that, that, next, that next little chunk. And they began selling property and possessions and sharing them with all as anyone might have need. It's going to go long. So this is, not, this is not Marxism. This is not communion. These are not the idea or uh, communism. I'm sorry for saying that. It's not Marxism. This is not communism. It's not the ideologies of today that the world would want us to believe. Where all property is owned publicly and each person receives sort of a stipend or a, stipend or a payment that's given to them by the government uh, according to their needs and according to their work. It's not those things. It's not this because we see in verse 46 that there's still people who own houses, right? Because they were going from house to house breaking bread. So not everybody sold all their stuff, but some people did. Bless the Lord or bless you for, for wanting to do that, for wanting to sell everything in your life and give to the church. Thank you, Lord. But not everybody is required to have to do that. If God puts that on your heart, go ahead. Be obedient to the Lord. But it's not com- communism. It's not Marxism. What this is is an attitude of just holding on loosely, right? It's, it's the love of God displayed through people who desperately love Jesus and were willing to give up anything to support their fellow brothers or sisters. It's a picture of holding on to everything so loosely that if God were to tell you to give the shirt off your back to somebody, you would, right? That's the idea. That's the picture here. And so I want to commend you, church, because as little as we are and as little as we have, we do have a spirit of giving, right? So every, every time we've ever stepped up here and we're like, hey, we need some money for this. We need money for a trampoline, even though they're going to break it in less than 24 hours. We, we, we need a trampoline. You guys gave the exact amount that we needed for a trampoline. We should have got the $600 one, too, because I guess they are really hard on it over there, right? But that, that doesn't matter. Every time we said, hey, we have a guy coming that's going to play the guitar and sing. We want to give him a love offering. You guys gave above and beyond and, and, and gave to this man and sent him on his way to do it. Every time that we ever need anything, you guys hold on loosely and you, and you guys give. You guys offer to us in pastoral support. And sometimes it's the only way that we know how we're going to get through the month. And thank you guys for doing that. Thank you for keeping the lights on. You guys, we, we, 
we're good, right? Because you guys keep giving because God placed in you guys a heart of holding on loosely. You're saying, it's not mine anyways. You can have it, Lord. Use it for your glory, right? And may the Lord bless you guys for that. Thank you. So these early Christians were able to give above and beyond because they loved Jesus. Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Because they continued in spiritual disciplines. Because they remembered the Lord in the sacraments. Because they were filled with reverence and awe for God. Because they were a unified body of believers. My fourth point. Continuing in unity. Look at verse 46 to just the start of verse 47. The first sentence. So day by day. Continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. So day by day, continuing with one mind. Day by day. Day by day. They didn't just stop on Sunday and pick it up on Wednesday. Day by day. They didn't just stop on Sunday and pick it up on Wednesday. 24-7 they continued, right? Day by day. Let that be an example for us, church. Daily we are Christians, right? Not, not just one day a week. Not just twice a week. Not just every time we sit down to read our Bibles. Not just every time we kneel down to pray. Not just every time we meet for a Bible study or come to church. But day by day, every single day, 24 hours a day, we are Christians. Amen? So how did they do it? How did they do this day by day living as Christians? They did it together. They did it with one mind, with one spirit. They did it as a unit, right? Together. There was no division. There was only one mind and one spirit. And whose mind and whose spirit? Jesus Christ, right? They were focused on Jesus. Not ourselves, not their selves. And where did they go? They went into the temple. Why would they go there if they were called out of Judaism into, into Christianity? Why would they go back into the temple? It doesn't seem to make any sense. But I want you to know this, that there, no place had any greater potential to further the church or to further the gospel than the temple where those who rejected and crucified Christ worshiped God, right? They were missionaries. They were evangelists. They continued daily with one mind to evangelize and be missional, right? They were gathering together to tell everybody about this Jesus Christ who died on the, for, for their sins, who was the coming Messiah. And Jews, you missed it by a mile. We missed it at first too, but look what we've seen. Listen to this. This is what God has to say, right? Another obvious reason why they met in the temple is because I want you to add it up. If it started with 120 and there's 3,000 now, that's 3,120. Where else are you going to fit? You can't fit in somebody's house with 3,120 people, right? So they had to go somewhere with a big enough porch. They had to go somewhere big enough to be able to meet, right? They were continuing daily. Couldn't fit in the house. They met publicly to proclaim Jesus Christ, the Messiah, whom the Jews crucified. To proclaim that this Jesus is responsible for the transformation of their lives. And the reason for this big, huge 3,000 person plus souls to be gathered together in, in peaceful and perfect unity. He's the reason why. They went to the temple to praise Jesus, to share Jesus, to love Jesus, to be unified in Jesus, to grow in knowledge of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's what they were doing there in the temple. It's about Jesus. Let's keep tracking with me. The second part of verse 46 here. In breaking bread from house to house. Notice that, guys. It's not the breaking of bread, but and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart. They're doing more than just worshiping publicly. 
They're doing more than just going to church. They're the same people behind closed doors as they were in public, right? They had integrity. Amen? They worshiped Jesus from house to house and sharing meals together and loving Jesus together every single day. And how did they do this? It's in the text. With gladness, right? Sincerity of heart. They were happy. They weren't, oh, who am I going to go hang out with this guy right now? They weren't mad about it. They were overjoyed. I get to go hang out with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Let's go. Come on. Come over here to this house and let's eat and let's talk about Jesus and let's live in unity and, and be passionately in love with Christ and let the whole world know what He's done in our lives. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. The only way this is possible is if they were all on the same level though, right? Everyone had to have in common one thing, this love for Jesus. That's all it took was just a love for Jesus. And this love of Jesus and this love for Jesus drove them to fellowship and unity every single day. Despite any of their current circumstances, they were glad and sincere in their hearts to be worshiping Jesus everywhere they went. So no matter if they were persecuted, no matter if they were poor, no matter if they were rich, no matter if they were crippled, no matter if they were well, no matter what, they were just happy to be worshiping Jesus, right? Just to be gathered in his name. That's all that mattered. They did it with gladness and sincerity of heart. We forget sometimes that we have one thing in common and it's Jesus. Two things. Sin too as well. But so, In fact, they were praising God and having favor with all of the people. They weren't doing it with just gladness and sincerity of heart, but they were actually praising God and having favor with all the people. Amen. Their lives were marked by their worship of God. These early Christians are remembered by their devotedness to God, worshiping Him everywhere they went. I want to be known as, I want to hear some words in my life, and that's it. This is this, and it's by God. Well done, my good faith, my servant. That's all I want to hear, right? I want, I, want, I, want to, I want him to know that I lived my whole entire life just praising you, Jesus, praising you, God, and having favor with everyone around me. They kept a great reputation among men. They lived above reproach, right? They never gave anybody a reason to say anything bad about them. Their enemy could have hated them real bad, but they couldn't say anything about Jimmy Decker's life, right? Dude's pretty upright, man. You know, they couldn't say anything bad about Rick's life. They might have had some enemies, but they couldn't say, I saw Rick doing something he shouldn't have been doing. He had favor with all men. He lived above reproach. He had a great reputation, right? He was known for, they were known for a guy, or for, for guys and gals who praised God and had a great life. They lived an innocent life above reproach. They lived out their resurrection, right? Because that's what happened. Buried with him in death. Raised to walk in newness of life. We had to die to ourselves. We're raised to walk in a new life. And one day we'll receive a new body. One day we will be resurrected again. And although they, uh, they were hated by some, like I said, nobody could say anything bad about their life. But they lived in joy and they lived in peace. And I want you guys to know this, that, that we, we are the temple, right? There's no need to go to a temple. We don't have to go to a certain mountain. We don't have to go to a certain place. We don't have to go on a pilgrimage to get to a place to worship God. We are the temple. Why? Because God dwells in us. If we're believers through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, making us the temple. So let's live a holy life, sanctified, a, a clean place for God to live. Amen. We are the temple now and we should live in unity, right? We should live together and, and, and with gladness and sincerity of heart, with favor among all men, because people are watching the kindness of God does what it, it leads people to repent. So we may be the only Bible, like Rick said last night, the only Bible that people ever read. 
way that we live could draw them to Christ. God drawing them through through us to, to, to church or, or to a time to be able to witness to them or to pick up their Bible that they threw on the shelf last year and to read that thing and be saved. My fifth point, continuing to grow. Last part of verse 47 and we're done. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the early Christians continued that were continuing steadfastly and they were blessed by God, right? But the growth is credited to God. It's not credited to these 3,120 people who were continuing steadfastly and doing these things, right? And reading their Bibles and praying. They don't get the credit for the growth. All they were doing was being obedient. I jumped ahead of myself, but it's, it's fine. It, it, you see that, that the Lord was adding to their number. It wasn't Peter was adding to their number. It wasn't James was adding to their number. Matthew adding to their number. It wasn't Philip adding to their number. It wasn't Rick adding to the number. Or Tanner or Gabby or, or Krista or Naomi. It wasn't any of these people adding to their number. Who was it that was adding to their number? It was the Lord that was adding to the number. The Lord is responsible for salvation. Amen. You ain't got nothing to do with it but your sin. You might ask me, how can we grow our church? Tanner, how, how can we do that? How can we grow our church? We look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. What then is Apollos and, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. God gives the increase. How do we grow our church? God gives the increase. How do we grow our church? God gives the increase. We are but farmers, right? We're but laborers. We're but builders. We're but servants. We're but carpenters. We're but workers and soldiers and athletes. We do not give the increase. We can only wake up, work hard, be diligent, be faithful, be obedient, train, practice, sow, reap, build, serve, love, witness, disciple, give, pray, remember, study. We can only continue steadfastly. That's all we can do. God gives the increase and pray like crazy that God, you would open the front doors of this church and close the back door. Would we send people out, Lord? Would you help us to be a catapult to missionaries in this place? We can't make our church grow by ourselves. We must commit our ways to God and watch him give the increase, right? Commit your ways unto the Lord and he will establish your steps. Sometimes, knowing, and this is a nugget that I got, knowing where to be and when to be there is the hardest decision I've ever had to make in my life. But I do know this, I'm not going to be lazy and sit and wait. So God says this in, in Psalms, uh, if you can commit your ways unto me and I will establish your steps. Commit your ways unto the Lord and I will establish your steps. Help me, Lord. I'm just trying to be obedient. Help me, Lord. That's all I know how to do. Help me, Lord. You give the increase. And, and seeker-sensitive churches um, who, who want to try to reach the world and, and just kind of uh, blend into the world. These seeker-sensitive churches would love to do anything other than preach the gospel, right? They would love to give a, a new car away to build attendance. I saw a corny movie and the guy was like, hey, uh, I told you guys that when we broke attendance records, I get a tattoo on my arm right here on stage in front of everybody. They're trying to do these weird, stupid things. You know, they would love a performance every week, a rock show with smoke and lights, a funny pastor, a soft message. 
They would, love to, they would love to draw people with this or with that, right? But whatever happened to the drawing of God? Whatever happened to the transforming power of the gospel? Isn't that enough of a gift to offer? Is that enough of a gift to give away? Why do we need to try to draw people with other things? The gospel is enough, right? Jesus is enough. God gives the increase. Let's pursue God like these early Christians. Because they were just ordinary people filled with an extraordinary spirit, right? They're just ordinary people filled with love for an extraordinary son. Ordinary people with a devotion for an extraordinary God, right? Ordinary people who prayed and studied and worshipped and remembered and gave and gathered and witnessed and preached and loved. Just ordinary people. Just servants. Best title you can have. Doulos, slave, servant, just Christians, right? Born again believers, just farmers who gave it all to follow Jesus, just ordinary people. Do you desire to be one of these Christians? Follow with me as I close. Do you desire to be one of these Christians devoted to Jesus and passionately in love with him? Do you desire to be that? There's one thing that you gotta do first, guys. You gotta be a Christian, okay? It's the first thing you gotta check off the list here, okay? And so I want you to know this, that Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, stepped off of his throne in heaven, was born of a virgin, right? Lived a perfect, sinless life. Nobody could ever say anything bad about the man. Perfectly sinless. Like I spoke of earlier, he took that crown of thorns, those beatings, those lashings, the mocking, all of those things, the ridicule, nailed through his hands and through his feet, hung on a cross, thrown down into the dirt. Uh, he stabbed in the side, buried in a borrowed tomb. After three days, he rose again from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back again. That's the gospel message. And your job is this, to believe. The Bible says, whoever believes in him shall not perish. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'm asking you this, is God drawing you tonight, this morning? Is he, is he drawing you in your heart? Is he drawing you this morning? Then, then come and join the family of believers who's, who set their face like flint, who love Jesus, who are committed to following him no matter the cost, who continue steadfastly. Let's pray. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. Father, we just pray that this morning that there would be people who would stand up off of, the, off of their chairs, Lord. They would give it all to you. Maybe it's right there in that chair. Maybe it's when they get home. Maybe it's when they lay down tonight. Maybe it's two weeks from now. Whatever it is, we know this, that your word has gone out, Lord. And we pray that, 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 that it, would, it, would, it would give faith. Father, we pray that, that you would give faith. That you would draw people to you this morning. And God, we pray also that, that you would help us to be these steadfast Christians who, who set our face like flint, who are devoted to the reading of the word, to fellowship, to, to communion, to living out uh, our resurrection, to prayer. Give me a heart to pray more, Lord. Help me, God. Make me this Christian who continues steadfastly. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.